1965, there was a musician, this guy. I don't know if anyone knows who this is. This is Otis Redding. Otis Redding recorded a song in 1965, and the song was about a desperate man who would give anything to the woman that he loves. The song was was popular. It achieved a modest success. But two years later, it came into the hands of this lady, Aretha Franklin. And in 1967, this song, the same song Otis Redding had written and sung, she sang it. She changed it a little bit, and it became a smash hit. It earned Franklin two Grammy Awards that year, but its popularity only increased in time. It became more and more popular. In 2002, the Library of Congress, the Library of Congress took the song, that song, and put it into their, this thing they have called the National Recording Registry. They put the most significant songs across all genres from American history. They put into there, and they put this song into the National Recording Registry, enshrined it as one of the greatest songs in the history of the United States of America. In 2002, Rolling Stone magazine, many considered a benchmark of the music industry, they released a ranking of the top 500 greatest songs of all time. 500. Do you know what the song ranked? Number five. It's number five. If you hadn't guessed it by now, I think you probably know what's that song? Respect. Respect. And now you are humming it in your head. For me personally, the song has great significance. As much as I struggle with the need for autocorrect when I'm typing words like necessary and judgment, I have no problem typing the word respect. Thank you, Ms. Franklin. And the lyrics are so profound, aren't they? Let me read some of them to you. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Find out what it means to me. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Take care. T-C-B-O. Sock it to me. Sock it to me. Sock it to me. Sock it to me. (laughs) I'm totally kidding. It's all funny, right? I love it. But we all know this song. We go, oh, yeah, respect. And I say respect. I did it this morning. I said to Nick, I said, oh, yeah, it's called respect. And he, like, started singing the song. And I was like, you didn't even know I was going to have this. It's so ingrained in our mind, isn't it? But Ms. Franklin and Otis Redding before her, they did not invent the need for respect, did they? They wrote a song about it. And it probably resonates with all of us because every single one of us wants to be respected, don't we? Another way to say that is every single one of us wants to have a good reputation. A good reputation. And well, guess what? God's instruction manual for us in the book of Proverbs encapsulated that a couple thousand years before it was put into that song that's in the National Registry. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. I have this sign. I was like, when I was preparing for this, I was like, why is that familiar? I'm like, oh yeah, I have this sign that has that verse on it. It sits on my desk. I'm like, yeah, I've been staring at that for years. That's why it's so familiar to me. I remember that. This verse means that given a choice, given the choice between pursuing what it takes to get riches or what it takes to have a good reputation, we should pursue what it takes to have a good reputation. 
We should pursue what it takes to have a good reputation. So what does it take? What does it take? What does it take to earn that respect, that R-E-S-P-E-C-T? What does it take? Well, this is a statement. I couldn't really figure out who said this, but this is a good statement. Reputation is what people think you are. Character is who you really are. Character is who you really are. And when we think about this, we recognize that ah, at some point, reputation is kind of out of our control, isn't it? Right? It is kind of out of our control because people are going to think what people are going to think. Any of us who interacts with online commerce understands, you know, you go to Yelp and you look at the reviews and you go, well, well, what do people say? And there's those people are going to think that, some people are going to think this. And, you know, it even happens with our church and we get reviews of our church and I go, was that really negative? Like, that's actually a good thing, but whatever. Like, we can't always control what people think, but... We can be sure, we can be sure that we will not have a good reputation. We will not have a good reputation if we do not have good character. You can't have one without the other. So all you can do is control character. So when we look at this verse in Proverbs 22, what it's really saying is pursue good character. Pursue good character. Well, what is character? I think we all know sort of intuitively. I say, oh, do you have good character? Oh, yeah, you can. But do you try to define it? It gets a little more difficult. Well, I, I came up with some synonyms for that. Integrity. Moral authority. Honesty. Good esteem. You go, okay, yeah, sure, we can get that. We're not going to talk today about really defining character, but how do we get it? How do we get it? It takes effort, doesn't it? Character doesn't just sort of descend upon us. It doesn't just happen. We need to pursue certain qualities in our life. We need to pursue certain things, certain aspects, in order to be building character into our lives, in order to build that foundation. So, good news. Proverbs gives us some instructions on that. So we're going to look at that today, and I've got it outlined for you. We're going to call it four character-building qualities. And not just any character-building qualities, but four character-building qualities that will earn you respect. That will earn you R-E-S-P-E-C-T. See, I can spell. Okay, the first one is this. The first thing that we can do to build character in our lives is to use wise speech. Right there in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 7, it says, Respected people do not tell lies. Respected people do not tell lies. Fools have nothing worthwhile to say. You've all probably heard that. Maybe your mom said that when you were growing up. Maybe you said that to your children. Choose your words carefully. (laughs) Choose your words carefully. There's something very important about that, isn't that? Why? This verse tells us. Choose your words carefully so that you can build character, so that you can be respected. A couple things we can look at, some sub-points under that. The first one is this. To use wise speech, one way to do that is speak honestly. Speak honestly. Proverbs chapter 6. There's this passage that says, There's six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. You go, whoa, that's very clear. I better pay attention to that. One of those things is a lying tongue. Telling lies. That's something the Lord hates. He hates that. Sometimes we have sort of that little saying, honesty is the best 
policy. Honesty is the best policy. And we all say that. We all could memorize that. I don't know. Maybe we learned that in kindergarten or something. But do we live that way? Do we live that way? Have you ever, have you ever known somebody whose life is just so infected with lies and dishonesty? Have you ever known somebody like that? I had this, an experience. Uh, a, a guy who was a supervisor for me at one point working in a firm and he kind of came into our life and he, he sort of he sort of blew into this position, you know, sort of like a whirlwind and he blew in and he, he had a lot of great things to say. And, oh, we're going to get this and we're going to do that and we're going to do this and do this and I know these people and I know that guy and I know this person and I know that. And he had all of these great stories. But we started to go, man, this seems a little... I don't know, maybe a little too good to be true. And we were trying to figure out, well, maybe we need to check some of these things or whatever. But then we had this opportunity where he came into work one day and he said, oh, guys, 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 I've got this great idea, right? So uh, in the business of architecture, right? And he says, okay, okay, I I met these guys and they run this new restaurant. There's this new restaurant and they've just started and they've opened a couple locations, but they want to go global. I met these guys and they have sort of their prototype models and they want to hire us. They want to hire us to do their restaurants all over the world. And we were like, well, that sounds really cool. He said, so let's go to lunch. We're going to go to lunch at one of these places. You ever been there? I won't tell you what the name of the place was. And I said, we were like, yeah, sure. We've never been there. We'll go to that place. So we went to this restaurant and we were sat down and had lunch and we were enjoying it. We were kind of looking at things like, hey, this is pretty neat. And, and all of a sudden, a couple people also walked into this restaurant and they looked very important and, you know, dressed nicely and they were talking to the people behind the counter and they started taking pictures and walking around. It looked like they sort of knew the manager and that sort of thing. And and so we asked this guy, our our supervisor, we said, do you know who those nice dressed people who walked in? He said, no, I don't know who they are. I don't know who those people are. Well, we went back to the office and we did a little internet search on this company at these restaurants. And those were the owners of the restaurant. So he had told us he knew the owners, and here they were in front of us, and he had no idea who they were. He weaved this web of lies. It was like he was, it was impossible for him to tell the truth, and we began to see cracks in what he said to the point where by the time he was finally let go by the company, we would say, hey, what'd you do this weekend? And he would tell us, and we had no faith that he had done what he had said he did just for the weekend, something so benign. Lies will destroy us. Do you see why lies are so detestable to God? Because they will destroy us and they destroy others and they will tarnish our reputation and destroy our character. Another thing we can do to use wise speech is to keep our promises. Keep our promises. We move over to the book of Psalms there in chapter 15. He says, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? Right? So so who gets to be close to God? Who is following God? Who is doing what God is doing? What does it say? There's a list of things. One of those is one who keeps an oath even when it hurts. One who keeps a promise even when it hurts. Now, if you have kids, this is a good one to work on with your kids, isn't it? And it's a good one to work on with yourself too, right? It's so easy to make promises to our kids and then break our kids, break our promises to our kids. In Proverbs chapter 25 verse 14 it says, like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift he does not give. Like clouds and wind without rain. We're kind of familiar with that here in Colorado, aren't we? 
I have a sprinkler system, and you all know I hate my yard. I hate gardening. I hate taking care of stuff, but I do it because it's there, and I need to be a good steward of it, right? But we get so many of these clouds and wind without rain. I see why there's rain sensors on sprinkler systems, because I'm constantly like, okay, I want to be a good steward here. I don't want to overwater, so is it going to rain? Is it not going to rain? Is it going to rain? Is it not going to rain? Last night at midnight, I'm like, hey, it rained, and I run downstairs and did the delay on the thing. It's annoying. I just want it to work. But we see people are like that. A person who makes promises and doesn't keep them, it's like the the thunderstorm that blows over and your grass is continuing to dry up because you were counting on it. People are counting on it. Go over to the New Testament in James chapter 5, verse 12. He says, Above all, above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let your yes be yes and no be no. And this sounds so great on paper, but it's so hard in practice, isn't it? It's so hard. How often do we say yes and really mean maybe? Or do we say yes and mean unless something better comes along? It's convicting to me. It's convicting to me. So I thought, is if you go, no, I'm pretty good. When I say yes, I mean yes. When I say no, I mean no. I, I came up with a list. I got a list here to share with you of some common unkept promises where we might speak, and it's not wise to speak this way, but we might speak and offer some, un, some promises that we don't keep. I'll get on it right away. Well, do you or do you not? (laughs) Another one, I'll see to that myself. Will you (laughs) or will you not? I'll return that when I'm done. You know that? I've had to work on some of that in my own life of returning things when I'm done with them, right? I'll pay you back once I'm paid. Oh, yeah, I need some money. Can I borrow that? I'll, I'll pay you back once I'm paid. And then you don't pay them back. I'll be home by six, honey. 7 o'clock rolls around, 7.30 rolls around, you're not home. I'll take you fishing, son. Here we are back at promises made to kids. Oh, I'll do this with you, kid. I'll, I'll do this with you, son. I'll do this with you, my daughter. We don't do it. I'll get involved in church once my life settles down, but we all know life will never settle down. Life will never settle down. When I get a raise, I'll start tithing. Oh, yeah, I've heard the pastors talk about that. They mentioned giving, and I should give, and I want to give. But, oh, when I get that raise, then I could start doing that. And then the raise comes, you go, well, there's this other thing, and it's hard. I mean, maybe the next time I, we defer those promises. There's one that's very personal. I'll start eating healthy and exercising tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes around, you go, well, I can still do it tomorrow. And I can still do it tomorrow. And we, we break our promises. You want to be wise? You want to have character? Keep your promises. Let us be known as a people who speak wisely, who tell the truth and keep our promises. Amen? second character quality to talk about today is working hard. You want to have good character? You want to lay the foundation so you can have a good reputation? Work hard. Proverbs 14, 22, and 23. You will earn the trust and respect of others if you work for good. If you work for evil, you're making a mistake. Work, and you will earn a living. If you sit around talking, you will be poor. So what does this say about all those get-rich-quick schemes that are out there in the world? It says, don't do those. (laughs) Don't do those. Let's step back and think about it. You know, do you ever have that... Man, what if if suddenly I had a long-lost uncle... And he left me 30 million bucks 
Do you ever do you ever go through that mental exercise, daydreaming? I try not to do that very much, but sometimes you just kind of catch yourself, like, or you're on the news, and you're like, oh, that person sort of won the lottery or whatever, and you go, wow, what would I do with that kind of money? What would I do with some amount of money that it's like, oh, I'm taking care of, I could never spend all that money if I tried? probably isn't true, but you just sort of start to think that way. According to this verse, if you had that kind of money, should you stop working? No. Why? Because work does what? It builds character. It builds character. Character doesn't show up in a lottery or an inheritance. We have to work for it, and working hard brings it about. i got a couple questions to ask you as you think about it today, as you go, well, am I a hard worker? I think I'm a hard worker. I don't know. Well, do others consider you a hard worker? I love in 1 Thessalonians, and we see it in a number of places in the New Testament. Paul talking, sending these letters, he's talking to people, and he says, hey... In this case, he says, We ask you, brothers, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Paul calls us to respect those who work hard. He does this in a number of places in the New Testament. It follows that hard work and respect are connected. And if you have kids, if you have kids, you have a tremendous opportunity here to teach them to work hard. There's all kinds of work to do. I don't know about you, my home, there's a lot of things that go on. There's a lot of hard work availability. There really is. I got a call this week. Um, you know, I, again, I, I hate the lawn, but it's summertime and it comes back at me and it is what it is, right? Well, I have a company, who I, I pay a little bit to come out a couple times and spray fertilizer on the grass so I don't look like a, a, a total reject in my neighborhood of people who all take care of their lawns. So they come out and they spray, you know, fertilizer and, and well, occasionally they'll call and, and try to sell me some of their product. And so they like called me this week and they were like, yeah, so last time we were out, we noticed you got a lot of weeds in your rock beds around your house. I was like, thanks, found out. <laughs> and they said, we can come by, we can spray those and they'll take care of those and we got a guarantee if they don't die, we'll come back and take care of them, no extra charge. And I was like, wow, that sounds great. And I said, sorry, I'm going to pass. Because I have six little people. Well, one of them's not so little. A couple of them aren't so little anymore. I got six people who need hard work opportunities. <laughs> and they can pull those weeds. I don't need you to spray them. I said, I told him, I told him this. And he was like, oh, I understand. I said, maybe when I'm older and they're grown up and I don't want to deal with it anymore, that's going to happen for sure. I'll call you back. Thank you for letting me know, right? I want my kids to know. I want them to work hard. Because it's going to build character in their lives. I want others to consider them hard workers. I want others to consider you hard workers. I want to be considered a hard worker too. Second question we can ask is, do you work hard serving others? Jesus himself said, whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. And as if that's not enough of a command coming from the Son of God, he says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Everybody loves to be served, right? I won't make you raise your hand because you'd be like, oh, I'm not going to save it. But I said, if I said, who likes to be served? We'd all go, shoom, right? And our hands would go up. Because we all like to be served. And because we all like to be served, then every single one of us ought to know how great that is. And we ought to go, yeah, I want to serve other people because I know how good it is to serve. But our culture is so obsessed with the self, isn't it? 
Everybody's so obsessed with their self, so it's an uphill challenge for us to serve because we're so focused on ourselves. But I'm so encouraged by this church and by you guys because I go, man, I think everybody here is working hard and serving one another. And I could sit here today, I was like, oh, I want to share some examples. And I go, oh, there's too many examples. I thought, well, let me just share one example. Somebody I wanted to salute today for serving in our church. I bet most of us come in on Sunday morning and the first place we go is to that coffee bar. And we get a cup of coffee. And most of you probably know, yeah, oh yeah, there's that guy. What's his name? Ned. Do you know how long Ned has worked on that thing? Ned worked on that for, I think, something like seven or eight years. Doing coffee. Making processes. Serving in ways so that you could have a nice warm cup of coffee. And a nice burrito. And a donut. And he worked and he got a bunch of people to work together. But he worked hard and he managed it. And he set up all of these processes. And all of these schedules. He came in many, many nights to make those toddies for the iced beverages by himself. And was here hours and did cleaning and had all of these processes. And put it all together. I don't know, Ned, I know you're here. I just want to say thank you for doing that. Ned has passed that on, and most of you probably don't even realize that Ned has passed that on. He so graciously, without having any glory or anything pointed at him, said, I'm going to pass it on, and now Missy's running it, and it's great, and she's probably going, thank you, Ned, for all of the stuff that you put in place to make it so much easier for me to do this. Ned worked hard serving others in that capacity. And I know Ned is working hard and looking at other ways and serving in our church. And I just think it's so precious. And I just want to salute him as one of many examples. And I could sit here and we could go on until 6 o'clock tonight and I could talk about every single one of you who's serving. But it's a good example to us to serve others. You want to work hard? You want to demonstrate hard work? Serve others. Let us be known as a people who work hard. Amen. Third thing today is to maintain moral integrity. You want to have character? Maintain your moral integrity. Proverbs 11, 5, and 6. The righteousness of the blameless makes their paths straight, but the wicked are brought down by their own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright delivers, righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires. What is moral integrity? What is moral integrity? Well, it's really the quality or state of being morally complete or undivided. Undivided. Another way to say this is who are you when no one is watching? Who, who are you when no one is watching? Right? This guy, C.S. Lewis, we're all familiar with him. He said, integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching. And we all know that there's not actually a time when no one is watching because the creator of the universe who is all-present and all-powerful and all-knowing is watching you. But even when nobody else on earth is watching you, integrity is doing the right thing. Right? I don't know how many of you know who this guy, Frederick Bar- Bartholdi, Bartholdi? I can't even say his name, right? You're probably like, who's that guy? Anyone know who this guy is? Well, he's the sculptor who made that. The Statue of Liberty. Way back in the 1800s. I had to look it up because I was like, when did that thing? It was opened in 1886. They opened it. It was set up. It was together. Right? Here's a, here's a good shot of it from above. This is a pretty compelling picture. Right? Looking from the torch, looking down. And so he designed this thing. 
And it wasn't really meant for people to go up in the torch, right? The torch is kind of this rickety. It's not rickety, but you know, it'd be terrifying. I'm afraid of heights. It'd be scary to be up there. But somebody, they let a photographer up here to take this picture. Okay, so no one's supposed to be in the torch. Well, you know what? In 1886, we were about 15 plus years from the Wright brothers taking their first flight. So there were no airplanes. There were no helicopters. There were no drones. There were no cameras. What was the only way to see the Statue of Liberty? Well, it was like that previous picture, from the ground. But look at the hair. He worked and sculpted the hair. He made the hair look like hair. Even though in his mind, probably no one would ever see it. Nobody would ever see the hair of the Statue of Liberty because nobody, except maybe the occasional person they let get up into that tower, into the torch to clean it or whatever, would ever see the hair. But he did it. It's an example of integrity. Doing the right thing when no one is watching. A couple statements about moral integrity. The first one is this. You can't compartmentalize your life. Like I said, it means being undivided. But sometimes we think we can take our life and treat it like an ice cube tray. I'm sorry, that picture's maybe not very clear. But how many people even use these anymore? I know maybe you don't. Because we all have automatic ice makers, but this is, you know, for you young people, this is how they used to make ice cubes. Is you'd pour water into these things, and you put it in the freezer, and then you'd like break it open, and you'd have ice cubes. Okay, well, let's imagine your life is like this, and you go, I can compartmentalize my life. I can sort of have my work zone, and my church zone, and my friend zone, and my entertainment zone, and my kids zone, and my hobbies zone, and they're all just like little compartments, and so I can kind of, you know, I, I, can, I can do this, some things here, I can be this kind of person in this zone, and this kind of person in this compartment, and this kind of person in this compartment. And that sounds like this nice idea, but I think we can't do it, because... Sin will infect our lives. And I like to think of this example, and I go, let's just imagine you say you can do this, and you go, your life is like water. And we go, okay, we're going to stand here, and I want you to hold this tray, and I'm going to pour a little bit of water into each compartment, and let's be really careful so that we're not just like filling them all. Let's like fill one at a time. And you go, okay, you got 12 or 16 or however many little trays of water. You go, look, it's my compartmentalized life. And I go, okay. And so if you can sin, and you think you can sort of sin and not have moral integrity in one compartment of your life, I'm going to go to the toilet and use a little eyedropper and I'm going to get some toilet water and I'm going to drop it into just one of those. We'll be like, okay, that's just like you sinned in one little compartment of your life. I can be a a lousy guy at work, but I'm okay everywhere else. You go, they'll see, look, it's okay. I say, okay, well, you're going to drink. I want you to drink from the other one down here at the other end that doesn't have the toilet water in it. You might go, well, they haven't actually touched because I've held this really careful. I go, well, but life isn't like that, right? I want you to go and I want you to go run around the block holding this cube, this tray of water and come back and then I want you to drink from the other side. (laughs) Are you going to do it? You're not going to do it. Because it's all going to mix together. Because we can't compartmentalize our life. Our life is not an ice cube tray. It all flows together. It all flows together. The same way that that sewage water would flow over the walls, sin is going to flow over the walls of the compartments you try to make in your life. Second thing is that a lack of integrity will destroy you. It will destroy you. Proverbs 10.9, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. 
This is kind of self-evident, isn't it? I thought about, man, I could, I could like fill a whole slide here with all these pictures of all of these famous people and all these famous names who we used to think were such great people and such examples of moral integrity, and they're not. They've been found out. We see men and women destroyed almost every week because of their lack of integrity in some area of their life. And Proverbs remind us that, reminds us that sin cannot be hidden. It will destroy you. So let's be known as a people who maintain our moral integrity. Amen? The fourth and final thing today. You want to have good character? Practice humility. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 23. Now you notice on this one, I underlined practice, not humility. I underlined practice, not humility. And I do this because we live in a time of the opposite of humility, which is pride. Right? We live in a time of pride, and I think when we go and we look at the world around us, we go, pride is everywhere. You notice nobody holds humility parades or humility festivals. <laughs> pride is the opposite of humility. Pride means to think of yourself first. Social media has made us into a proudful people. Maybe we're always proud, and that's something we struggle with all along, but we're just prouder than normal because all of the focus is on oneself. I read a post this week where somebody was using the death of somebody else and somebody else's tragedy to bring focus to themselves. (laughs) I go, gosh, really? Is that where we're at? It is where we're at. What does this verse tell us about catering to our pride? It says, we'll be brought low. And let that be a warning to us all. In addition to being prideful, we need to be aware that we we can say, oh, I'm humble, I'm humble, and we can have a false humility. One of my favorite songs from the 1990s is like this. You guys remember this? The Amish Paradise by Weird Al? And he has this great line in there. He says, I know I'm a million times as humble as thou art. (laughs) Wait, right? It's like, oh, that's a false humility, right? I know, that's kind of funny. We can go back to good old C.S. Lewis. He says, true humility is more like self-forgetfulness than false modesty. So let's not be falsely modest. Oh, I'm a million times as humble as thou art. Because of this pride, because of false humility, we need to practice. That's why I emphasize practice. We have to practice. We have to work on being humble. How do we do that? The Bible there in Proverbs gives us a couple of ways. Clothe yourself with humility. As we go over to Peter, chapter 1 Peter 5, 5. Clothe yourselves with humility. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Clothe yourself. What does clothe mean? Clothe means to make an effort to put something on. We don't live in sci-fi reality where you walk into your closet and say, Computer, dress me today. You have to have some effort to put something on. We have to have some effort to put on humility. How do we do this? One is to remember who we are before God. Remember who you are before God. God is the all-powerful creator of the universe. You need a reminder of that? Go out to the mountains. Go out at night and look at the stars. Go into your garden, the yard that I hate. I'll go into it and I'll stare at the flowers and I'll stare at the bugs and go, wow, 
God is amazing. I am nothing. God is everything. A second thing we can do is to remember who's helped us. Remember that whoever we are, whatever accomplishments we have, whatever successes we have in our life, we can probably attribute to somebody else giving to us. You may be familiar with the the author Alex Haley. He wrote the book Roots. I know it turned into a a television series at one point. It's a, a very significant work of literature in the history of the United States. But he is known for saying this. I got his picture and his quote here. And he says, anytime you see a turtle up on top of a fence post, you know he had some help. We're all just turtles on top of fence posts. We need help to get where we are. You want to be humble? Remember who has helped you to get where you are. A second way we can practice humility is to just do it to ourselves so that God doesn't have to. Proverbs 16.8, pride goes before destruction, but a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride comes before a fall. You've heard that. We've all heard that. This is where it comes from. Proverbs 16.18. You know, earlier this year, we went through a series here, and we called it Know the Father, and we were talking about different characters and qualities of God and who He is. And one of those characteristics of God is that He's just. He is perfectly just. He gets the scales of justice right. He gets them right. And he's given us these instructions. He's given us his word. He's given us the Bible. He's given us Proverbs as a way to direct us. And he's telling us right here, it's very simple. You're going to be proud. You're going to get destroyed. You're going to be proud. You're going to get destroyed. You're going to fall. Unless we think this is the only place where he says that. And we go, okay. He's given us. A story. A great story. And I'm going to read it today from my Bible for you today. It's from uh, the book of Daniel, chapter 4. We've all heard of this guy. I don't know if that's actually him. That's just a, a painting of him, right? This is King Nebuchadnezzar, right? And so the, the Jews, they're, they're in captivity in Babylon. And uh, here's the king, and he's like really powerful. He's like the most powerful guy on earth. The greatest nation that exists on the face of the earth. And he's done all of this stuff. And he's got Daniel, and Daniel's sort of working for him, and Daniel's kind of his dream interpreter and doing, you know, some government things for this guy. And the king has this dream. He has this dream, and I won't read the dream because Daniel goes to interpret the dream. And he calls Daniel and says, interpret this dream for me. So I'll read it for you, and you can follow along and stare at the funny picture of the guy on the screen. Starting in verse 19. Chapter 4, Daniel chapter 4, verse 19. I get to write my place here. Daniel, who, Daniel was greatly perplexed for a time, so the king tells him the dream. He's greatly perplexed, and his thoughts terrify him. And the king says, Daniel, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Daniel said, well, my lord, if, the, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> The tree you saw, so now he's going to talk about the dream. The tree you saw, you saw this tree in your dream, which grew large and strong with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the beasts of the field and having nesting places in its branches for the birds of the air. You, king, are that tree. The king's probably like, sweet, that's good. I'm the king, I'm the king, I'm the good guy. I got the big, the big tree. Daniel says, you become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. You, O king, saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it. Uh Uh-oh. 
But leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let it be drenched with the, dru- drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live like the wild animals and seven time, until seven times pass by for him. And then Daniel goes, well, here's the bad news. This is the interpretation, O king. This is the decree of the Most High God that is issued against you, my lord, the king. You will be driven away from people. And you will live with wild animals. And you will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. You go, well, that's scary. Be kind of terrified. And Daniel gives him this opportunity to repent, but does it happen? Well, it goes on in verse 28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. I guess he didn't repent. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this great Babylon I have built by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh Uh-oh, God speaking here. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately. Immediately. Not like later. Right then, immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle. That sounds gross. And his nails like the claws of a bird. And now then here the passage picks up and this is Nebuchadnezzar speaking. He says, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven And my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne. And I became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, here's the key. I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So there's a story. A true story about what God can do. And if God can do it to this guy, to this king, he can do it to you and he can do it to me. And so what's our application there? Our application is do it to yourself first. Be humble. Be humble yourself so that you don't have to go through this process. That's what I wanted to share. Just a review of those things from this morning here. Four character building qualities that will earn you respect. Use wise speech. Work hard. Maintain moral integrity. And practice humility. I'll pray and we can close here. Father, thank you for this truth from your word.
God, we thank you that it's good. Your word is good and has instruction for us for all things in life. Lord, help us to be known as people of character. God, we remember that our reputation is to be desired. And God, we recognize in some ways we don't have control over what other people think about us. But we do have control over pursuing good character in our lives. And we will never have a good reputation if we don't have good character. So Lord, help us to pursue good character in our lives. Lord, help each one of us to look at this and say, Wow, I need to be speak wise in my speech. I need to speak wisely. I need to work hard. I've been a little lazy. Help me to work hard. Oh God, help me to have moral integrity. Help me to realize I can't compartmentalize my life. I need to be the same person when no one is around as when everyone is around. God, help us to be humble. Help us to put humility into practice. Help us to work on it. As it says there, help us to clothe ourselves in humility to make the effort, not a false humility, but a God-honoring humility. Lord, I know I don't want to be humbled by you. Lord, show me those steps, how I can take it in my life so I can be humble. God, thank you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you've given us these instructions, that you've given us a way that we can learn and grow and walk forward in truth and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.